You're listening to Tea Time with Talent Acquisition, the podcast aimed at fostering knowledge and sharing it within this vibrant talent acquisition community. Here is what's coming up on today's episode. It's a team or a series of teams that they have very high targets and they have to provide them in a very uh, short time frame. Uh, that's for me high performing. They have to at least respect themselves, if not better than that. And they obviously have to deliver. Yeah. I think the three parts, the admin part, the coming along part, and the delivery part, that's the three most important. Coming from one of the most recognizable wellness brands, it was a true pleasure having the chance to learn from Jamie about the ins and outs of building high-performing recruitment teams. Having worked with different teams in the past, how Jamie broke down the complex into manageable pieces genuinely it's a testament to what he and the team at love honey are truly doing so learn to nail the basics learn to understand the performance indicators of your team and how you can review the right metrics as you look to build long lasting and stable recruitment teams so let's explore what jamie has to share together welcome to tea time with tan acquisition the podcast aimed at fostering knowledge and sharing stories within the vibrant talent acquisition community. There is no surefire way to accomplish anything in life, but with each conversation, we aim to delve into diverse topics and present fresh perspectives to empower you, our fellow colleague, on your journey to success. I'm your host, Eden, and for the next hour or so, I'll be joined by a seasoned recruiter boasting more than a decade of professional experience, supporting a wide variety of customers for a multitude of positions. Now the global head of talent acquisition, a prominent player in the wellness industry, this individual is eager to impart their wisdom gained from first-hand experience in nurturing and sustaining high-performing recruitment teams. I'm thrilled to the opportunity to collaborate with him, and I've also had the uh, privilege of working with him briefly in the past. So when you're ready, grab your favourite tea or coffee if you prefer, and join me in welcoming today's guest, the global talent acquisition manager for the team at Love Honey. Jamie Fernandez. So thank you so much for joining me on today. No problem. My pleasure, Ethan. Thank you for having me here today. Nice. Well, look, from every other episode we've always recorded, everyone gets the same question and you're not going to get out of it either. So let's kick it off. Why Why are we working in talent acquisition? I, I studied uh, social work and it was not for me. Then I moved into Psychology and um, becoming a charter psychologist in Spain is not uh, particularly easy. And also, there's not so much space to do. So it picked up my interest pretty quickly to move into into business psychology. Um, mm-hmm. I started moving to that path, and I've been I've been living abroad for many many years now. And um, if you want to be into human resources in a different country. Usually, you have to be there or grow there or something of the kind. So, being in talent acquisition was a natural move for me. And um, it's actually the, the part that I like the most it's because it's very, it's very easy to see the impact in the business and it's very easy to see the turn into figures of that um, area. So, yeah, that's, that's why I became uh, a specialist in this area. And, um, and some funny stories some years ago, I got an interview for a job in Krafthain, the one of the capture. And um, 
the person who was interviewing me asked me what what I want to be in five years, and I said I want to have your job, and he was head of talent acquisition. So. That's what I did uh, for years and a half later. I mean, you've been head of TA for a little bit longer now, right? So um, you, did, <laughs> you did it before the four and a half, four and a half year mark for sure. But kind of, kind of. It was, it was uh, almost there, uh, yeah. I like the fact that you're saying that obviously it kind of took a detour. It wasn't the, the intention to get into this, oh. but, you know, that mix between psycho, uh, psychology and kind of seeing the impact that you're doing. I think, um, mm-hmm. I think definitely recruitment in general internal external that's definitely one of the biggest factors i think a lot of people step into this field is that you can see firsthand the work you do you know and you can really see the results quite quickly really as well yeah yeah i i I don't know about in other countries but in spain it becomes um an area of work that you you are very data driven you have to do a lot of analytics and you have to study a lot of mathematics that's on that side. Then on the other side, when you study psychology, you learn pretty quickly how to do interviews and how to interact with people. So yeah, yeah you just become a natural for that. So that two things together, it makes you pretty good from the beginning. Obviously, when you leave university, you have a lot of high hopes about doing uh, psychometrics and things like that, which sometimes happens, sometimes don't. But yeah. Depends what team you join, much. right? Yeah, it depends. Depends on the company. Depends on the on the culture, and uh, you also de- have to take it with a pinch of salt about uh, how you how hard you are and how the results are coming and how they are taken. But yeah, that's too much. Well, obviously, I mentioned in the intro about your experience building, but also maintaining high performance teams, and that's obviously mm-hmm. going to be the the core element of what we're going to focus on today. But before we kind of get into you know the meat of what what your knowledge can can kind of share. When I say a high-performing team, especially in the world of recruitment, what do we actually yeah. mean by that? Well, it's a, it's a team or a series of teams that they have very high targets and they have to provide them in a very uh, short time frame. That, that's for me high-performing. It has to be pretty good aligned and the, the rule set of within they move, the, it has to be pretty clear. So that's how they, they can move. But yeah, pretty much that, like, very high targets, very short time. That's how you can define a high-performing team. So, for my, so consistent my delivery based on the company's yeah. company's expectations. But in a, as you said, a short yes. period of time. Why is that important to be able to deliver quickly? Well, probably it's not happening anymore. But some years ago, we had a lot of uh, hyper-growth companies. Uh, money was flowing and uh, there were many startups and they have to make themselves pretty fast within the space in their in their domain so that's why usually you need to hire on board and keep running those uh, new hires in the company pretty fast that's that's why so obviously it's a quite a broad term when we say high performing um that brief explanation kind of is you know it's one explanation there's a lot of different variants of what someone else would, would understand but what what in your opinion what do you see the core pillars of building such a team you know mm-hmm. if we if we break down those elements well, you have you have to have um, an an administrative rule set that is pretty clear. So they have they know what they need to mm-hmm. do, uh, both to be successful and to operate uh, in a way that it doesn't create hassle for them and for the people around them. You have to have a series of personalities that come along well, um, because the the stress is going to be high. Uh, so they they have to at least respect themselves, if not better than that. 
and they obviously have to deliver. Yeah. I think the three parts, the admin part, the coming along part, and the delivery part, the three most important. Well, let's break it down. Let's let's go through the specifics of it. So starting at the kind of administrative setup stage. Sure. So what is the difficulty, first of all, when we talk about kind of the administrative part? And then we'll go into how can we actually go out and do this ourselves. But what, what should we be uh, mindful you... of? Well, you should be mindful that they are going to be under a lot of stress and they are going to have to do a lot of things at the same time. And being a stress resilient is not for everyone. So you have to make things as easier for them as it can be possible. So you have to come with a series of fundamentals from the very beginning that allow the people to work on the same framework, whether it is how a contract is created or requested, how a position is created or requested in your ATS, whom do you have to ask for? Um, feedback, who has to approve that feedback, who has to approve that offer, how the offer approval is done. What are the rituals of the of the mm. team? Like, do we do stand-ups? Do we do uh, yearly reviews? Do we do uh, every six-month reviews? So people have a series of timelines, deadlines, frames that they can operate within. So when things go nuts, <laughs> they don't go nuts. They know what to do in each time. Each time. And it is complicated. It is complicated for in two parts. One, the complicated first part is to set this up because usually it's not only you. It's more people around in the business. It can be HR generalists. It can be hiding managers. It can be the department itself, executives, you name it. Probably they're involved at some point on that and you have to agree with them. And then you have the other part, which is um, yeah, them to um, get used to and, and to create these habits that for some people take more time because other companies don't or they are not used to or they are looked onto or they want an explanation why for or what for and yeah that's that's usually the two main problems so really make sure before we even talk about who to bring on before we even get someone on as much as you can think logically through the process what would they need at what point and then create as seamless or smooth as possible start to finish for that person sure Sure. Well, you can, you can, I believe, I believe it's more important on that level of seniority in which we're talking about talent acquisition, especially talent acquisition, yeah. managers, talent uh, recruiters, you, you name it. That is this uh, position in which you have somewhere in between one to five years of experience and you don't have a managerial role yet. You're looking more for someone who can get the mm-hmm. job done that uh, building around the individual, the, a specific role. getting executors yes. into the role. Obviously, you have to have some. Yeah, you have to have some left hand here. You have to be a bit flexible. Rules are there, but they have to bend to to certain extent. But yes, I believe that the company, the procedure, and the standards. Yeah, it's it's the principal part. Then comes the individual. Then there might come an individual that change your way of seeing things or how you do things, and that's absolutely fine. But rare and they have to show to be up, flexible you know? once we get people there but give them structure that they can slot in and start delivering we, we will talk about sure you can create a structure yeah you can yeah. create a structure but then you when you put it in place it might, <laughs> might, might not be the right one you, you also you also have to understand that and you also have to see you you have to leave egos aside and understand that sometimes things don't work and sometimes you have to be a bit tougher and understand the things that you actually need to work. Like if this is my recruitment process, I really need my recruitment process to work because otherwise 
I don't have data to show my executives and I can refrain that you are doing a good job based on data, for example. Yeah. So let's say I'm setting up a team, right? Just got appointed head of talent yeah. acquisition. Great job to me. Well done. Um, thanks. We're <laughs> working hard for it. Um, but I, I want to build a high-performing team in the future. As you know, of course, that's the aim, right? We want to get there. But as you say, it takes time. What is the absolute non-negotiables mm-hmm. I should be doing in my setup stage? I know because you've just mentioned quite a lot, right? And everyone's going to be sitting there trying to scribble it down yeah, really quickly definitely. to work out what did you say. But take it piece by piece. Day one, yeah. this is what I should be doing to make team as successful as I possibly can from a structural perspective. Sure. Well, day one, look look mm-hmm. on what they have done so far. If there is, I mean, if if you come to a new, there's never a new company. There's never a, an empty field, I believe. So look at what they did. And my fundamental part from there is like you build a recruitment process that works for everyone. Because the moment you have the recruitment process defined in terms of how do you call every stage, where every stage goes, who takes part in every stage, what kind of information or feedback do they have to fill in every stage, you have mm-hmm. most of the job done. Or at least you can start start rolling. Because people will have a framework in which they can work, uh, they know what comes next and what they can do. And yeah, I believe, I believe that's the main Standard, number one. Standardize yeah. it as much process. as we can. You call every step the same way. Yeah, Standardize, call it the same in every country that you're operating. Don't be narrow-minded. You, you will need to make additional steps that you might not want. That you will need to find a way that they fall align in a certain uh, series of events. But yeah, yeah, that, that's. I guess it also makes it easier. Let's say the, the team expands quickly, and that's you know what we're hoping is going to happen. And you go from hiring, say, in Berlin, and now you need to go hire in Paris. If you've got that process in place, yeah. there's just subtle differences you might need to yeah. do based on the local market instead of having to recreate everything and kind of go through the whole process again. It really, it really is. It truly is. There's one, there's two things there. If, if you work in a big city like Berlin, Paris, London, things to be tend to be called the same. Even if they are not called the same way, they tend to work the same way. So on a screening call is on a screening call. You can call it yeah. an acquisition interview. You can call it a recruiter screen. It doesn't matter. It's the same. It reflects the same. And when you have that in place and you are expanding into other places or you have operations in other places and you have to put it in place, uh, what you have created, and it really is yeah. uh, way easier. I, I have seen it here in Love Honey Group that that was one of the, that, that was probably task number one. I would say call things by the same name. I think I called that project like we should speak no, we speak yeah. the same language. That it's interesting because in task. development, let's yeah. take software development. I know you've done it a bit in the past as well, so we can speak we can speak this lingo. Um, but when you work with software development, they have standardized, <laughs> you know, acronyms. They have standardized conversations. It doesn't matter if you're from the US or from India. It's you know you talk <laughs> the same. Where obviously in recruitment, I do find it it's it's mad internal, external, country, industry. Everyone has their own different kind of uniqueness yeah. or try to be unique where it makes it more challenging Lovely. when somebody's coming on board. It's a problem. Yeah. It's a pro it's a problem and it's a problem. People tend to think that it's a problem of two seconds, but it's two seconds every minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's two seconds. It's, 
you speak with someone who is not in your same place. Yeah. You have to tell them what it means. You have to tell them what you're doing that. You have to put it on written five, six times. No, it doesn't. It doesn't really work. For yeah. me, it does. So getting the process is one part of that setup. The second part of that setup is getting the people. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously the bigger challenge is how do mm-hmm. we determine who is going to be that high performer? Who's, you know, we want to get as many A stars as we can. You know, that's exactly. So, I mean, you never know. What what can you know, we do no. to, if if there is anything that you've kind of identified to determine who could be or who could not be quicker than not? It depends on the requirements of you having for your job, and it depends on the kind of uh, mm-hmm. corporation that you're working for. If you remember a couple of years ago, getting a recruiter in place was a, probably the most tough, the toughest yeah. thing uh, that that anyone could do. So if you keep people and places that uh, got their minds in the in the thinking of yeah they have to have five years of experience they have to have a speaking with uh, executives they they had to have la 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 it didn't it didn't work so my point of view was so yes that the not the more the most experienced no for me i mean i don't want someone who who is looking for the there's two paths here. So there's there's people you speak with and they tell you, yeah, I want to do this job. I'm 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 200% earning or I just have like one year of experience and for me this is an development because it's a larger company or I'm super happy because I'm changing sector and I never did that and so on. They usually are the ones who mm-hmm. fly. And then you have the other people who has been doing the same job, call it recruiter, senior recruiter, senior talent acquisition manager, and they want something else. They want to be involved in projects. They want to be involved in another kind of things, and it's that's a more difficult job to 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 find uh, for them. It can be very useful in peace times, let's call it. But if you are trying to get a lot of targets done, and the way it's going to be like a like a mental fracture, there you are trying to get results, and they are trying to do results plus something else. So yeah, I think that's more complicated. It depends a lot of the time that your company. Yeah. Is having, but yeah, I would say that if you're looking for someone who who wants to do these kind of things, someone with energy doesn't matter age. I have seen people in their fifties, people in their twenties, and you, you have two areas here, and they have done exceptionally well. But yeah, that they have the energy that they they are not telling for shy. I believe that's the that's one of the problems of, of some people when they're a bit too young or too junior that they are a bit telephone shy. They ask this, this kind of, uh, I'm going to send an email. Send yeah, email. Some point you have to speak with the, with the I think people. It's, yeah, I, I love what yeah, I'm hearing yeah, because yeah. it basically and, uh, kind of boils down to that there's nothing, there's no one size fits all to say that you fit in. You're always going to be a high performer because you could be in team A, but in team B, it just might not click. And I think that's that kind of yeah. comes down to where's your team today? Yeah. What values do you have as a team? What do you see missing that you know skills wise to kind of really boost and then nurturing okay. that that yeah. over the long period of time? Especially as you say, someone could be twenty years old, they could be sixty years old, they could still perform. Yeah, absolutely. That's a matter. That's a matter. It it helps you. It it helps for things to go faster if they if they adapt quickly to your to your framework. If they don't want to do their own thing. It's usually better uh, if you have a larger team and if you have or a set of yeah. teams. That's that's way better. You have you have a company with this short. Uh, I don't know, like you have two, three recruiters. 
Yeah, I mean, then that that kind of case, like you have an individual thinker and they wants to do things by its own. Yeah, but I think at the end of, it crashes at some point. Even even from the minimal things, like someone um, you have three people or or so and. Um, they don't have a clear path or set of structure and like one is doing one kind of job at another one is doing a different kind of job at then you go online and it's yeah. like what's this, this like this is not it's not serious you know uh, or they want to do i don't know an offer template this way another one doesn't want to do yeah, it's just about getting yeah, getting everything uh, from one unified company process i mean i'm i'm super process driven i i love a document me yeah, I do. Um, my team will tell you that one, but I, th- I think ultimately it's not for yeah, everyone. you're right. It's not for everyone, and that's absolutely fine. But those who, like myself, love a bit of structure, love a document, I think it just makes life easier to for myself, and th- then it's always there. Look, I remember, I remember an interview we had for a candidate for for one of my teams back in, in the end of 2020, and. All the people liked that person on a on a personal level. They thought that it was a good connection. We have no doubt that she could do the the recruitment. But I did the last round and and I asked her straight up like, how good are you with that administrative tasks? Uh, and this person said to me, well, I work nine to five and I don't have time for that. I need to screen candidates and call candidates. Like, yeah. You know why? And I will tell you why. Because for them, for more people, it will say like, yeah, I did my job and it's done. For me, it will be like, yeah, I'm going to have to come later. I'm going to have to fix that. Or someone else is going to have to come and fix that. So it's going to be two yeah. hours more of work for someone else. So well, What yeah, mistakes no, have you seen, you know, along the way around kind of that setup process? Either through when you joined Love Honey or, you know, because obviously when you joined, they weren't, yeah. they were already an established company, right? But all from, from kind of past experiences. Yeah, but well, in in Love Honey, it was the um, it was it was a merger of different companies, so it was very different ways of working in in one uh, place or another. So I think the major differences were were that to trying to align everything into one kind of setup and um, discussing with local management and changing mindsets about how things are done or handling one or the other way. I think yeah, that was that was one of the first uh, yeah things that we encounter and I think at this point is pretty much sorted uh, to some extent. So then the second pillar that you mentioned obviously is around the actual performance. We've got our structure, we've Uh looked at who we're bringing on board and now we actually want to look at the performance of that team. Mm -hmm. So how would we break that down? There are two components. One is subjective and another one is subjective. Subjective Mm -hmm. part I would say it's the easiest one, but it is not. So it's a matter of how you see the dynamics of the team, how people is coming along, how levels of frustration are expressed within the team meetings or not, or it's just a pure joy and all the people is coming along, how other people is telling you how things are going or how did they find uh, communication with one or another individual. And honestly speaking, tends to tends to fit uh, what you see or what you are inferring with what is actually happening, um, unless you are very naive and you think that no, and uh, you know the people is, is is having plots or things like that, which is not the case. So that's one part, the, the subjective part, and 
there's a subjective part that comes into hiring managers and to stakeholders and they they will tell you straight up if things are going good or bad. Mm-hmm. I do take that one with a pinch of salt, if you ask me. Sometimes little mistakes are taken like uh, criminal acts and sometimes other not. So you have to listen, you have to review, you have to discuss if this claim has been uh, right or, or if it's something that it has been proof or not, or it's just, yeah. Or you have to protect your, your team member because, yeah, it's unfair how they are uh, evaluating uh, mm-hmm. them. Um, then another part is objective. Another part is the objective one, which comes about uh, figures and, and delivery. So I like to stress again the importance of having a recruitment process from the very beginning that runs because once you have the recruitment process running and people is uh, adhere to that and, and they are using the steps properly and they are using the tools properly, then you can easily get figures about it. And then you can yeah. see pretty quickly how not only how they are hiring, because it's important, it's definitive, and it tells you a lot, but it's not the 100%, say it's the 60% of that. But there's another 40% that comes of uh, lack uh, about uh, hiring managers presenting a qualified offer, about uh, competition in the market, about us maybe not qualifying properly, the candidate was actually better, we were lower on the expectations. Things like that play a role or just unfortunate situations for candidates like they don't want to relocate, their relative pass away, you name it. We probably have seen it. And yeah, yeah I think I think that's, that's about it. But you can see through the recruitment process how the, the pipeline is developing. You can see conversion rates. You can see withdrawal reasons. You can see rejection reasons, time of reaction. If people is actually reviewing their pipeline on a daily basis, two daily basis, or they are just lifting it uh, the moment they find someone and just carry on. But yeah, I think I think that's the objective part, and then the objective part has to be also taking has to be taken with care because there are two paths here that I have seen. One is the the kind of person who calls two people and hires one, and the kind of person who calls two hundred and hires one. And at the end of the day, they did the same, the same amount of time, and they invested the same amount of time in their uh, working days. And it's absolutely fine, but you need to understand how how that works. Yeah. I think there, there's also an, a fine line between we need the data. Of course we do. Data is, yeah. you know, without data, we can't analyze properly. We can't adjust and we can't, you know, make our teams perform better. Um but there is also an element of being too data heavy. I, I've found, you know, and it's uh, then it's all about the numbers and only about the numbers, and then yeah, subjectivity kind of gets lost a little bit. There are many, many, many views on that that I have seen. One is the rational one, which is mine. <laughs> but I'm calling the rational one, which is like I want the data, I want to see it. I'm not gonna use it against you, but I'm gonna use it to protect you and educate you. And there is the other one, which is like, I want to see the figures and this is two and the other one is four, so it's lower, so it doesn't work for me. And then it's the other one that I also have seen, which is, yeah, we are very data-driven. We have some graphics. Uh, they never touch it on Excel. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't work either. I think if you're using data to educate, yeah, fair enough. But if you're using data yeah. to shun someone and, you know... I don't make... believe it works. No, absolutely. Um, but you do need, I do 
agree you need to have those processes in place to find those data points but there is so many data points in recruitment you can talk about you know cv to interview conversion rates on interviews acceptance rates time to hire there's there is so many we've actually gone out our way to try and create a white one say try we've created a white paper to produce as many ones that we feel important but i'm curious what what do you think We'll break it back. We'll bring it back to the former example. I've still, I've still got my job as head of talent acquisition. Yeah. So I have no uh, type, like no metrics at the moment in my team. What yeah. would you say is the most important that I set up first, and then what would you say I need to have overall um, as a consistent? Uh, the, yeah. The the um, the offer conversion. The offer conversion for me is the is the number one because offer conversion, especially if you have okay offer conversion and, and withdrawal reasons or rejection reasons, you have those three, then you can see um, how many people is accepting your offers and maybe you find that ninety percent of the people is accepting your offers, which is amazing, mm-hmm. and I will raise an exclamation mark like maybe you are not calling enough people. Uh, because you probably will be filling more positions if you are trying a bit more, you know, random candidates that you find like maybe's and maybe's can work too. And withdrawal and reaction reasons because you can find out if you don't have that eighty percent conversion rate for offer to hire, but if you have a thirty-five, then you can find out what is missing here. And it can be, and then you can go to withdrawal reasons, and then you see that ninety-five percent of your offers are withdrawn uh, by uh, um, salary reasons. Yeah. Then, then that's it's a the different data, conversation. Yeah, the you, data you, there screams in your face what you need to discuss as a company. And then you go to the next one. It's like then you also maybe are, are compiling information about uh, salary expectations. Yeah. And then you can check the salary expectations, and then you can compare against the withdrawal reasons. And then you can compare it against your budget or your salary range for that position. And then you say like, well, we are like 50% below what the market is asking us for. So this is just a waste of time. So if you want to hire people, you need to start thinking how much money are you losing for not having that person in place and start thinking about raising the salaries. Uh, but, but yeah, that that's more a conversation 2021. That's not happening anymore. Do you think you should drive that conversation? So now I've changed jobs again, by the way. I keep giving myself the example. <laughs> I now I now work for you. I've been employed by Love Honey now. Okay. Um, you're you're head of talent acquisition. I'm in your team. I've spot the data. Yeah. You expected me to drive that to you and say, look, we need to be making this change or do you think that falls on the head of the team? I expect you to, to raise a hand and tell me like there's something off. And um, I will be the one looking into that. Yeah. And then you would be the person if, driving. If you call, yeah. if you as an employee, you, it never happened to me so far. I have I have seen some people that maybe, ah, maybe it's off. I check the numbers. I don't have it clear and so on. But if you do that, you will be you will be an excellent employee. To be honest, you'll be like you come with the problem. You come with the solution. That's literally what all the people is asking for. Yeah. But if you come at least with the problem and. Uh, some sort of intuition about what is actually the the solution, then that's good because they can look into that and I'm the one who's going to be reviewing and telling you, okay, I've seen that. I can see the problem. I'm going to speak with the people who is responsible for that and we're going to try to do something about it because I understand your frustration not getting this this, this right. I'm going to throw out a massive unpopular opinion right now. And this might backfire on me because uh, 
I do a lot of talent acquisition, acquisition teams, sorry. I think there's an element of trepidation, uncertainty as to what they can or cannot bring up based on data. Okay. So an example, again, I love examples, clearly. So everything you've just said, we do, right? So if I'm not filling a position as an external partner, instead of just saying, hey, Jamie, I can't find this person, we need to raise the salary. I will come back to you with data and say, this is how many people have approached, conversation, all what you've just said there, and I give you the data. Yeah. I would then expect you to be the voice of reason to the hires that be to say, look, this is the data. And I've done it many, 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 many times. I would say probably 90% of people are thankful. And they say, thanks so much for that. You know, we're happy we've seen the data. Nothing happened. Of that 90%, less than half probably make any meaningful change. And then it becomes that okay. issue of what what are you doing? What are you expecting? Uh, do you, are you concerned about going to your your CFO, your CEO, your CTO about the the market, or are you concerned that you're not sure how to raise it? So, bring it back into the internal team as an individual contributor. If they're seeing and spotting this trend, but their manager isn't making any adjustments to it, or they can't see any meaningful change what could they do in that scenario because i guarantee a lot of people probably are seeing things like this and nothing is drastically this, changing this example this example i'm telling you is actually something that happened and i did so i i know that for a fact i don't know what other people do and i i can understand that uh, maybe some people say hey, thank you very much for this uh but yeah i will keep it here in my folder that i will never look yeah, at it's mental um <laughs> yeah I think I think it's a mistake. Um, I understand that some people maybe feel more comfortable just letting things go, but um, yeah, it's not my my way of. Mm. I will I will tackle the problem because it, my my way of seeing uh, management it's that you are the one who cleans the way for people to pass. So you have to be the one who is there for having the way, and they are the ones who have to walk through that way the most comfortable possible uh and yeah that, that that that's part of the thing uh, if you have if you have um a position that is not being hired for a certain amount of reasons and you have the data the thing is that you don't have the data you just you're just mm. guessing if you're just guessing that okay fair enough that's that's a complicated topic to put in front of someone but if you have the data and you have the um rationality behind you have to yeah that's what i've to. always that's, assumed as well I've never seen I've never seen anyone in any executive position or any kind of position of management that gets disappointed if they see some reliable data about something that is a problem for them. Um, I'm not telling you that they will do something, but at least they will tell you why they cannot do something. They will tell you, look, I don't have no budget, or you are giving me the overqualified candidates, or look lower, or we just wait, and that's fine, and don't worry. That okay, but yeah, no, I don't I don't see that. Yes, that also segues the, the back to scenario. the high performance team component, and to say like the other end of the performance <clears throat> of the team is also driven by you as their leader as well, and what you're removing from yeah. their mental capacity to focus on other tasks. You know, they're they're sitting there thinking, why is leadership not listening to the data? Why are they not voicing or they're not communicating back to me? then that's just mental capacity wasted where they could be focusing back on, yeah. okay, who do I need to find? Please. How do I need to find that person? Or how do we need to increase this pipeline? Yeah. Look, looking looking at right now, like if I if I can automate something, I mm. will do it. 
I here in Lothoni I have automated note taking for interviews. It's saving. I will not tell you how much hours, how many hours per week. It can it can be unrealistic. How many hours just not to take notes and have them all drafted there with artificial intelligence. What can, what tool you do you use? Just curiosity. Meta MetaView. Yeah, we're using MetaView from the very beginning. The day the day I saw it, I, I purchased it. They didn't even have a, a platform to pay, literally. And and I was already using it. So that's already done. Things that I can do through my ATS that pass on to my HR generalist. Literally right now, I'm implementing something that was not done before, which is creating contracts in, in uh, our uh, ATS, integrating with DocuSign, passing them on to our HRIS. That's long. It's, it's maybe two hours or three hours of these people time yeah. a week. And maybe it's three hours of my time to fix this up. And you see, it's these kind of things that uh, save time for, for people. So yeah, automation or discussions about figures or, or things that makes things that make life easier for people. Yeah, it's just, as you say, removing as many of these blockers just to allow your team to focus on yeah. what their task at hand is and come back to that performance aspect, which then segues quite nicely into yeah, yeah. results, which, you know, let's be honest. And again, it comes back down to that acquisition. I think there's a lot of projects people focus on, but yeah. our job at the end of the day is getting the best people for that job. Best doesn't need the most, doesn't need to be the most experienced, of course. We've established that, but who is right for that job at that time in that company? Period. So, it truly is. It truly is. And you have to have the portion for that. This is what I mentioned before when we were talking about what is the right, who is the right person for, for the job. And it's like, well, you you have the one who's super motivated at that about the actual job, and the one who is super motivated about doing another gig yeah. at the same time. And to do another gig, you have to have a certain level of delivery already and if not yeah i mean at the end, it will come at some point some some months later this conversation about what kind of role we can offer this person will come along that's for sure how do you maintain the high performance team then you know you've got the setup you feel like you've got the right people in place you're removing these blockers you're checking your kpis or your okrs and you know what's happening yep. it all looks good but then very quickly something goes wrong. Um, you know, you lose funding as a company. One of your employees hires who's best friends, yeah. uh, so at least who's best friends with somebody else and saying, you know, things just happen. So how can we maintain that yeah. performance aspect? It's very, it's a very difficult task. And sometimes, and sometimes you even have to think on, on restructuring. Mm-hmm. But from my point of view, you, if that happens, like you are in the situation that you were mentioned before, that it had happened for the past year to numerous uh, a large number of businesses and you have to think pretty quickly on on restructuring in the basis of how many hires do I need for the business who can uh, do that hires and who can do something else that is not hiring that allow us to improve in data automation processes admin and so on and you will find some people and then you will find other people who it's not good for the job, and you will need to you will need to see. You can accommodate in other areas of the business. You can try to to carry on. What I will not recommend is to carry on with the idea that things will improve because it becomes exasperating. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, people thinking like they have nothing to do. It's the same music all the time. I have nothing to do. 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 
which reminds me of a thing that someone said to me, like, it's not, it's not like you don't have anything to do, it's like you don't want to do what you have in front of you, which is, uh, you find boring the things that you have to do. But yeah, I think, I think that's the, that's the issue. This, this heartbreak and then what are you going to do with the people is, is a th- you have to think it clearly and you have to do one thing one time and settle it and not keep thinking on what is going to happen next or in one year or let's do this now and let's see what happens next. Like it. That sometimes is not, it's not <laughs> yeah, possible. Yeah, I mean, right? I think, you know, again, coming back to the, the definition you've given around high-performance teams, you know, some other person will listen and say, actually, this is my perception of it. And I mean, there's whole podcasts, ironic high-performance podcasts. It is a very good podcast, by the way. Not to randomly give them a plug, it is really good. <laughs> but there are whole things around this and, you know, they get um, personalities on all the time who have slightly different variants, and which is that. I know how it's a it's a very too. very good yeah, podcast. I know. Um, yeah. They got from Alonso. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great yeah. F one driver. Um, anyways, beside the point that he's uh, <laughs> what driving now for the wrong team. But regardless, um, <laughs> I think the takeaways from this and and you know as we're going through it is that it's not just an IC's responsibility. It's not just a head of responsibility. It's a collective responsibility to build that team. You know your role as head of or you know lead on that team is to help create processes to remove the structures. But then it's my job as the IC to to come in and deliver and voice if there's issues along the way. And you know it's that conjunction yeah. and partnership with each other to say, are we being as productive? Are we delivering as best as we can? And if not, how do we improve it? Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, I do believe so. Yeah, um, and. There are hard times. It's not. It's not all. Um, there's one thing when you are you are on this high performance path, which is you are producing and producing, and and then you get back for your. Usually, is rewarded immediately because you know they want to keep the 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 wheel spinning. Let's put it that way. So you you do good, and then you get, and then you get more, and then you get more, and then you get more, and <laughs> when that point of hey here we're stopping here, and then you also have to be um pretty strong when it comes about um where the kid has to be done and i have not seen that sometimes and and you also have to consider sometimes even if you are the problem which is also uh um, a thing that could happen if your figure is the right one for that time in that setup you know so yeah that that can happen and that's that's not something that other people will do, to be honest. Well, Jamie, I really appreciate you spending time and giving us your insights. And, and thank you so much for joining and, like I said, participating on this. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot for someone to learn from. So I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Pretty good. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. Okay. Whenever you're ready, by the way. Ah, okay. Interesting, bringing simplicity to the chaos of recruitment. Follow Perry to Spana for more. That's it. No, no. Is it good? You want another one?